Good morning. So I just got back from Haiti, and um, Chris Lee made the mistake of offering the, me the mic this morning uh, to share where I have encountered God recently. So um, Dan and Garrett, I hope you don't have much planned, because um, um, gosh, I have traveled to Haiti uh, numerous times over the last six years, and um, I know to expect these holy moments uh, on our trip, but I'm always amazed um, still got at how um, God shows up and what I, what I see of him and through him on these trips. And one uh, particular moment stands out to me. We were in a, um, a village with the kiddos, and there was this one small little boy um, who was having a complete and utter meltdown. Um, just inconsolable on the ground. Nobody could make him happy. Several people went over and, um, you know, tried to engage with him and love on him and all that. And he was just having none of it. He was just having this breakdown. And so um, we got our translator over, like, what's going on with the kid? And um, uh, he said, um, he's just not getting what he wants this morning. He's just He's not, he's not getting his way, and so he's throwing a fit. Um, and we're all like, particularly us moms, we're like, seen that. Um, so, you know, we're like, okay, we'll let him have his fit and kind of be done with it. Um, but there was one uh, person on the team who uh, could not walk away. Um, and continually, um, he tried to engage with this young boy, and um, the little boy would just have nothing of it. But he stayed there, and he stayed present with him. Uh, and after a while, he was able to scoop him up and hold him. Kid's still throwing this fit, you know. He's not done with it. But, um, but this team member just sat and held this little boy while he threw his fit. Um, and this went on for, gosh, I don't know, 15, 20, 30 minutes maybe. Um, but it just reminded me of who God is and how many times God has scooped me up and held me while I was throwing a fit and didn't walk away from me, didn't go, yeah, you're just going to need to suck that up and uh, get over it. But he stayed present. And that's the thing about um, that I continually learn about being in Haiti is what it means to be present. And it's hard. It's hard to be in Haiti and be present with the pain and the poverty and the struggle to survive every day for these people. And yet, I, if I stay present in that, I recognize my own pain and my own poverty and my own struggle to survive every day. And it's different. I have food. I have water. I can get my kids to the doctor if I need to. So it's maybe different for me. But my soul struggles to survive sometimes on a daily basis. And one of my favorite things about being in Haiti is worshiping with the Haitian church. And I wish I had language and words to articulate what that feels like. But it is so palpable. The Holy Spirit is so palpable. The veil between heaven and earth is so thin there in that church. You can almost reach out and touch it. And the Haitians lay their soul bare in their desperate need for Jesus during their worship. And so as, I, as we enter into worship this morning, I recognize that this morning, at this time, in this place, I am worshiping alongside my brothers and sisters in Haiti who are pouring their hearts out to their Jesus who they desperately need. 
and my soul needs that too. And so if your soul is weary and tired and needs Jesus, I pray that um, you meet and engage God here because he is here and he is just as palpable. And that veil is just as thin between heaven and earth as it is in Haiti. And I'm reminded of that. And so that is my prayer for me this morning in worship and for you. Have a seat for a moment. Sit at the feet of Jesus and let's pray for the world. With all our heart, with all our mind, let us pray to the Lord for the peace that comes from above and for the loving kindness of God. Pray, God, for our salvation of our soul. We pray, God, for the peace of the world. We pray, Lord, that you would take care of those who have no home that are stranded because of war, economics, politics. Pray, God, that you would comfort those who are in fear and are sad for children who have no mother and father, all because of human evil. We pray, God, that that would stop, that Christians would rise up and be the voice of love and compassion, righteousness, truth, We pray, Lord, for the leaders of nations. We pray, God, that they would be impressed by the church, that the church would stand up and have its voice and say, that's not right. This is the way to go. This is who you should be. May the church of Jesus rise up and be heard. We pray, Lord, for our own area, for our own city, the metro area, for Kansas City and everything that lies around here. Pray, God, for the cessation of uh, gunshots, for children being shot senselessly, for the murder rate in this town that's well above average. Pray, God, once again for Christians to step in, take care and bind up the brokenhearted, be with those who grieve. Pray, God, for our earth and for the ground, those first two feet of the dirt, Lord, that we would take care of it, that we wouldn't abuse it, that we wouldn't poison it. We pray, Lord, for a good harvest this fall, for food to be plentiful and inexpensive for those who can't afford it, and that we would all praise you and lift our eyes towards heaven and say, Lord, we didn't do any of this. Everything comes from your hand. And so, God, we also pray for those who are, uh, seem really busy and are scurrying about to and fro, running across this land. Pray, God, that you would give them peace of heart and peace of mind and have them slow down and understand who they are and who they're supposed to be in you. And, God, we pray for those who are grieving and are infirmed and are sick and for the widow and for the orphan. Pray, Lord, that we would come along, our brother and sister and those outside the church even, who are sad, have lost somebody. Pray, Lord, we be there for them, just simply to be with them and let them know that we care. And God, we pray for those who are unemployed or underemployed. Pray, God, that you would give them good jobs and give them a living wage, a good wage. Pray, God, that you would uh, have companies be honest and truthful 
and understand, Lord, that their chief objective is to put food on people's tables, not to become filthy rich and self-indulgent. So we pray, God, for our labor and for our economics to take care of those who are at the bottom and those in the middle. And Lord, then we also lift up those who have died in the hope of the resurrection and for those who, uh, who are around them, that someday they will know they will see them someday and be with them for all eternity. These are our prayers, Lord. Lord, have mercy upon us. May we lift up our voices to you and sing in the sure hope of the resurrection. In the name of Christ, we all said, amen. Let's rise up and sing. Well, good morning again. My name's Chris. I'm the worship arts director here. And that's Dan over there on the end and Garrett in the middle. These are our two teaching pastors here at Lakeland. And uh, so I'm sort of moderating this, this deal. What we're going to do is just have an off-the-cuff conversation about a subject that weighs heavily on us, I think. And that is the prevailing trend at Lakeland, in our city, in our country, and around the world of folks... Um, attending the gathered time at churches less and less and less. It's an issue that's been on my heart for a long time. I know one of the things that informed my decision where to travel to on my first sabbatical in 2007 um, was the great decline of church attendance in the UK. And so I went and spent a couple of months with churches over there to try to sort of get my head wrapped around that. I'm not going to go into that now, but um, it's something I've been thinking about for a long time, and I think these guys have too. We've had a consultant in, Art Fuller, that has done some focus groups and stuff to try to help us learn about our community and why that's happening. Um, so we're just going to kind of riff off some ideas that he had um, as to why church attendance is declining, not only globally and nationally, but, but right here at home. So I'm going to throw two statistics at you guys and, and just give you, get some thoughts right off the cuff before we get into our list here. Um, according to the most recent Gallup polls, um, people that reported that they were members in a church or synagogue... In 1992, people reported yes at 70%, and in 2015, 54%. So it's a 16% decrease um, since that time. And then the other one is people that reported they went to church every week from 34% in 1992 to down to 25%. So that, those are staggering numbers over the course of only you know, less than 25 years. Well, this is coming right out of the gate like a rocket, isn't it? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, well, we had our consultant in because we thought, you know, oh, we must be sick or broken, you know, because we, we don't have that steep of numbers, praise the Lord. But, uh, you know, we did notice for the, we'd been accustomed to growing year after year after year. And then we had some years where we did not. So we thought, well, what's broken? And, and what the consultant said when we first asked him that, he's like, well, let me meet with you first and just let me tell you that it's a, a national trend. Um, and so what, what he initially brought to us was just a list of reasons why that happens almost everywhere in the United States right now. So that didn't make me feel better, but uh, it, it kind of changed our way of looking at this. In some ways, it made me feel worse um, because if it had been just something here that was because of this, then we could change this, and it wouldn't happen here. But to say that it's a cultural trend that's kind of getting into the DNA of America, that means we've got to go against that level of a force. And uh, that, 
and steals my breath a little bit. So. Well, it's, a, it's an American trend and a Western European trend because in absolute numbers, all world religions, whether it's Islam, Buddhism, Hindu, Christianity, Judaism, all of them have increased since 1970 on a really steady incline. World, like people say, you know, religion's over with and done, and it's absolutely not true. They're all increasing. Yeah, that same Gallup poll um, said that the most, the highest percentage of people that attend church every single week, I can't remember what country it was, but it was 89%. 89% of that country, it was an African country. Yeah, it's going to be something sure. in the Southern uh, Hemisphere yeah, with numbers like 89%, that. 89%, like right. that's right. amazing. Uh, I think one of the things that we tend to, you know, I don't know, talk about standing outside the hallway or whatever is, uh, and I've run into it now with two teenagers, is the uh, notion of uh, before Sunday was sacrosanct for sports, you know, no, nobody did soccer uh, or in our house swimming and lacrosse. Of course, swim meets go over Sundays all day long, so we ran into that pretty quick. Uh, but that uh, Sunday, because of the tournament business a few years ago, the last slot to do sports was on the Sunday morning. And so, you know, it starts on Friday or Saturday, but then you have the fi- the finale, you know, the tournament goes then on Sunday morning. And it's like, so suddenly, you know, you're going to have people competing. Should I go to my kid's game or should I, uh, you know, go to church? And they're like, I'm going to my kid's game. Yeah, I just think that's something we're noticing in our household as well as uh, probably nationally is that sports compete with church. That's a big enough phenomenon. The New York Times commented on it. Uh, New York Times ran this quote that said, American values are clear. It's family first, faith second, sports third. Unless either of the first two conflict with sports, then sports wins. I mean, it gets interesting, you know, when sports then is seen as being family, which I think there's a huge element to that. You know, I mean, I only have my kids for a short amount of time. I'm going to do whatever I can to be with them. You know what I mean? So it gets really difficult at that point trying to make those sort of decisions. But okay. sports wins. So, so, so my role in this is that, um, you know, we could all go out and read, uh, you know, a blog or a newspaper article or something that describes the problem with, we would call it a problem. A lot of people don't call it a problem. That's sort of the central issue. Describes the problem as to what people are choosing instead of being in regular community. You're here this morning not to hear the problem because everybody can describe the problem. But what is our sort of response to that? From the people of God, from a pastoral perspective, then what would you say about that tension? The mm-hmm. sports issue specifically. Mm-hmm. From my standpoint, our, our family, our kids, you know, they've done swimming and they, they've done basketball and volleyball and karate and all that stuff. But uh, we try to intentionally pick ones um, that don't interfere with what their spiritual development should be. Uh, we have to decide are our kids more than just bodies to compete with other bodies. Like, is there a soul in there? Does my child have a soul? If my child does have a soul, does it also require training? Does it also require care? Or can I leave that to the side and they can figure that out on their own someday? Um, I don't handle any part of my kids that way. I train them how to eat. 
it's like rolling a heavy rock up a hill to get my kids to understand how to take care of their body through eating. It feels like a lost cause most days. But I don't say, well, they'll figure it out someday. I'll just let them eat right out of the pretzel bag all day long. You know, um, I try to instill that training into them. Um, same with their physical activity. Same with how to take care of a house and clean it. Same with their spirituality. I have to make places for these things. So if any one activity part of my child tries to run over all the rest, that's unbalanced. And balance is something I also want my kids to understand. Um, I have missed church activities to go to their music concerts sometimes because in my position, right, confusion for my kids on whether Jesus is real or just the family business, right? So sometimes I have to intentionally send my kids a message like, you're so important to me, I'll miss something going on at the church for you. And that's an important thing for my kids to see sometimes. But if I communicate to them, oh, we'll miss church every single time if you've got a music concert. Now I've sent them some other message, like, well, God might be real, but, you know, he's not as real as singing Farrah Jaka in a school program. Certainly not that. Yeah, so I don't, I don't want to do that. So you have to decide, does your child have a soul, and what does that soul require, I think? Well, I just think there's a larger thing, you know, we've talked about it over the years, of like, you need to, uh, from the, your various early days, especially for all you parents who have kids that aren't in school yet, you, you're the primary prophet and poet and priest of ushering your child into a God-based world. It's you who go out, you know, in the backyard or in the park who say, oh, look at the, you know, the cicada, you know, what's their role in the world? You know, not give them some scientific answer, but give them a God answer. You know, it's like God creates everything. God is in, uh, you know, all of this, not that God's in everything, but you know what I mean? But God's spirit moves across the face of the earth. It's your job to interpret that world so that they grow up thinking this way. Why? Why? So they don't grow up splitting their soul from their normal life. That, that, that split, that bifurcation between sacred and secular. And Jesus put it this way, you know, man shall not live by bread alone. And what happens is, is that we end up living by bread alone. Uh, and then we try to conjure up the soul, and it's not there. And so, you know, we come to church, you know, as the psalmist says, and says, everything was amiss, and then I came into your sanctuary. Ah, now I knew who I was, where I belonged, and what I was supposed to be doing in this life. You know what I mean? And that whole thing of, like, you have a soul. Don't live by bread alone. It's the first temptation is to live by bread alone, is to be completely secular, and then somehow conjure up spirituality and, and layer it on, you know, like you're adding cheese to a sandwich or something like that. No, 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 no. It doesn't work like that. It's the whole meal, you know what I mean? Just to beg a metaphor. Cut this off when you want, but... I was about to. Yeah, okay. Well, I just, well, go ahead. I just also want to say, as parents, we can also push back against this culture. Uh, as Christians, push back against everything in culture that tries to overwhelm our kids. Um, so Tim and Zandy Barr, are, they're taking their daughter to college today. So they, they could, I wanted them to tell this story themselves because they tell it so well. But they were at, uh, all their kids are super athletic, really athletic. And uh, they were in the start of the team meeting, and Zandy, who's very assertive on behalf of the kids, 
uh, you know, she stuck her hand up and said, hey, our family likes to go to church. Is there any way we could not play games on Sunday? Well, then all the other parents in the room go, yeah, yeah, we like to go to church too. And the coach goes, okay. And that was it. That was the end of Sunday games for that entire team. She's like, that's all I had to do was ask? And every other parent wanted to ask, but they were all just being quiet? So, you know, that stuff's a money-making deal. They're not in it because, you know, for the good of humanity. It's a money-making thing. And if they got the whiff that there wouldn't be as much money if they overwhelm Sunday, then they'll pull back and not overwhelm Sunday. So you can, you can make pushes like that. And um, sometimes, maybe more than we think, have great success. So in true Lakeland fashion, you're not getting a black or white answer for this is what to do and this is what not to do. So I just thought I'd point that out. That <laughs> that's the goal here. Uh, what I hear you saying is it's more about the stewardship of your children. Yes. Decide what value games give to your children. Then give games the amount of attention they deserve and not any more. That's pretty black and white. It's pretty black and white. Yep, that's good. Uh, Arkans back, to me, it reminds me of the language around... Um, uh, when we do infant baptism and we talk about the spiritual nurture of our children, it's coming crashing in, you know, 13 years later, <laughs> the spiritual nurture of your children. All right, we're going to move on. So that was, uh, that was one of the bullet lists. Thanks, Dan. Um, so here's an interesting one. Uh, the studies show that church attendance and being in community declines due to our greater affluence. So as we get richer, we come to church less. Go. You go. I already talked a bunch. Oh, I felt like I, oh, no, no, I stole all the air on that last one. Um, okay, well, first of all, this shouldn't surprise us. Um, although it's the verse we don't like to quote a, a whole lot, Jesus did say, it's easier for a rich man to pass through the eye of a needle. Uh, camel. camel. It's easier for a camel to pass through the eye of a needle than for a rich person to enter the kingdom of heaven. Of course, here in rich suburbs of America... You know, we just sit kind of real quiet after that line. But uh, that's not nearly the only time Jesus said something like that. And I think what we're seeing here is how that happens. It's not that rich people are wicked. It's not that money turns you wicked. It's a lot more to do with probably that it distracts you. Um, Jesus interpreted the parable of the seeds. Remember the seeds thrown on, some seeds thrown on a path, some seeds thrown among thorns, some seeds, the birds came and ate them. And in, in the Gospel of Luke, it says those seeds among the thorns, those were the people that were choked out by wealth and the cares of this world. And so I think we see it's not that the, the camel is too evil to go through the eye of the needle. It's that the camel goes and wanders off because camel has other options, right? The camel has other options. When I was 20 years old, I couldn't go on a vacation over a weekend anyway. So, you know, I came to church. But just last weekend, I spent an entire week out of town because, you know, now we're rich Americans. And we could have straddled that over as many Sundays as we wanted to do that over. So we had to then to decide whether or not to go to church. So you're saying with affluence just comes options. Yes. And by that very nature, you have to start choosing to be in community as opposed to before. It was like, yeah. well, I don't have anything better to do. I had no option to own a lake house. 
in my, you know, when I first became a high school teacher. So there was no problem. Now I have to decide. Do I want to own a lake house that I didn't have to go down and mow, that I didn't have to go down and stain, that I didn't have to go down and rake leaves away from in case it should catch fire? And it's going to require care in me to be on site to do that. Uh, do I want that distraction for my life here? I have to decide that now. Um, and uh, affluence creates options. Different people decide different things about that. Okay, so w- that's a brilliant description of the problem. From a pastoral perspective then, how do we approach that? I mean, it's probably not so then just be poor all the time. Well, you know, it's not easy. But around Lakeland, what we've found great traction with are our financial challenges, which I remember the very first one, uh, Lori and I... <laughs> committing to three years far more than uh, we thought we were ever capable of doing. And we did it, and we accomplished it, but every month we knew we were giving money to a whole bunch of really cool projects as well as the purchase of the building uh, instead of doing other things. And it called into question, you know, so we have 10000 bucks, say. Are, are we going to give that to God's work? Are we going to do the lake house thing or whatever you call it? So, you know, and that just continues on and on and on, you know. And uh, so I think part of the church's job is to lay out there for everyone a really demanding high call that allows us and provides that opportunity. We're like, what, where, where am I going to store up my treasure? You know, where will I store it up? You know, as the old line goes, you know, no one ever had a, a hearse behind him going into heaven, you know, mm-hmm. or as the line goes also, you know, you can't take it with you, but you can send it ahead. So it's the idea of like, where are you going to invest your life? And uh, I think at Lakeland, at least our attempt, and I'm sure sometimes it's very put offish to say like, man, those guys talk about money a lot. And they're like, well, you know why? Because money is the lingua franca of affluent Americanism white suburbia. suburbia. What, does, what does that mean? Well, it means it's the language means. we all speak. You know, I mean, it's, it's the currency we all deal with, quite literally. And when the church steps in and says, so is it going to be God's work? Or is it going to just be your own autonomous self-life? Nothing terrible with the lake house and all that sort of thing. You know, I remember years ago, uh, staff went down to somebody's lake house. And I could tell they were... It was a very nice house. And I could tell they were squeamish about us all going down there, you know, because it was very ostentatious. These people were very devout. And so I just simply said, thank you for using and stewarding what God has given you for God's use. You know, so they began to bring lots of people down there. It's like, great, you can have things, just steward well, you know, the things that we have. You know what I mean? Don't sit around and say, my precious you know. We'll talk about Charlie Bell because he's not in the room. Yeah, that's good. So, sure. So Char- Char- Charlie Bell has a has a house on a, on an island in Minnesota, something he got from family or something. Cabin. Yeah, cabin. And uh, and um, so no one begrudges them to go up there and make the family memories they make up there. You know, uh, the Belts and their and their three kids. They do about six weeks in the summer. Now they there's no reason they should ever come back here again. I mean, that place is beautiful. This time of year, Minnesota sounds real nice compared to 108 heat index here. But, you know, this morning, right now, while we're sitting here, Charlie is upstairs, um, you know, teaching the Bible to the fifth through eighth grade class. 
either of my kids might be in there this morning. I don't know. So he's made room for both in his life. And that's what you have to do when you're a, when you're a Christian who has money, is you have to like say to yourself, even though I could act like a distracted rich person, even though I could be gone forever, even though I could be in a different place, having a different awesome experience every week, I'll decide how much value that has to my family, give it that much, and then I'll decide to, to live here and give to things beyond this world and invest in things beyond properties and experiences, invest in other people's family. I'm very grateful he's doing that this morning. I wouldn't want my kids learning the Bible from hardly anybody but him this morning. I'm really grateful he's chosen to do that because he doesn't have to be here. They have the means to do other things. That's a great segue. We have, we have time for about one more of these bullets. Okay. okay? And I, I'm going to just uh, pick which one I want you guys to talk about. Because okay. I think it is the overarching bullet for all of the rest of them. Um, the study showed that um, people cited they don't feel like they get any direct benefit when they come to church. So they come to church and they think, I don't really get anything from that. So I'm just not going. Right? So... They're not feeling a direct benefit. And for me, whether it's sports or lake houses or whatever else, if they felt that urgent direct benefit every week, it would, it would eclipse everything else on this list. So let's talk about that particular one. People just feeling like, man, I don't get anything from that. I'm not going. When Lakeland first started, we were what's called a seeker-sensitive church, uh, modeled after Willow Creek Community Church. Uh, up in Chicago. And it was a baby boomer church, very affluent, and a mega church. And um, they realized three things that Lakeland also captured and hung its hat on. That church is guilt-driven, it's boring, and it asks for money a lot. And so Lakeland started off saying, like, yeah, that's what's wrong with the church. We're not going to do that. We didn't start out with a split or anything. We just were a bunch of people who wanted to see people who were far away from God come close. What's intriguing these days in my reading, and I, I these days have to do a lot of reading, the turn is, is towards that they're saying people really need confession. And so as far as a direct benefit, a place where people can come and get rid of their shame and receive forgiveness, awesome but also confess their sin, as well as a place where others come and say, what about all of our sin? Not so we wallow in it, but so we can actually be forgiven by the Creator and by the, the blood of Jesus. And so it's very topsy-turvy to me to think like, well, I thought it was all about, you know, let's all feel good. And it's like, yeah, feel good through confession. I just thought that was a very interesting direct benefit of the church is that we come so that we can be uh, not just forgiven with no sin, <laughs> but that we actually say, yes, we, we have sinned. We've done things wrong. And we admit it. We're absolved of it. We, we have assurance of pardon. And we go out into the world saying, one more week. We'll just go another week. And then we all wash in and we wash back out. I'll just piggyback off of that. Um, this one kind of hurts my heart a little bit for people because I think this is an extremely short-sighted kind of statement to make that I don't see the benefit of it. 
Um, you don't see the benefit of anything that you do every time you do it. Exercise, you know, I don't do five pull-ups and then split my shirt down the back like Lou Ferrigno. Um, you know, dieting, I don't say, oh, I'll have the salad instead of the fries one time and, you know, get to snap a different belt loop on the next morning. Training, physical, mental, or spiritual, is all time spent, and then on the day you need it comes the benefit. So, you know, we bring our daughter to church. She's made one really good friend here. Um, I'm sure she's friends with lots of folks here, but one really good friend here. So when she started seventh grade, you've all heard little bits of the story that have dripped out here and from her baptism and everything, you know. She got with a really rotten crowd. And she needed a... Her social life needed a retooling. <laughs> that one friend we had here was... super valuable. And I really feel for all the parents who are not seeing the value of coming here. Because the chance in this culture that your kid's going to need a social overhaul at some point is really high. They're communicating with people on those phones you don't even know. And if you did, you would not like them. But your kid's not going to know anybody because they haven't been here to build a friend. Did I know that's what we were doing? No. In fact, I could have said, why even go to that church? She's only made one friend. That's what I could have said. Just needed the one. And the breakfast group that I went to, the morning that all broke, and uh, all the little investments we made have all paid off this year. And I want you to make those investments too for your own good. And you don't see what they are yet. So pastorally, I think <clears throat> what I hear you saying is the comment from people was, I don't see a direct benefit when I come. And the answer is, that's not, right. <laughs> the answer is not, uh, yes, you do. Here's your direct benefit. The answer is like you're, you're seeking the wrong thing. You're not going to get a direct benefit. You're going to get a very indirect benefit. It's not right here in front of us, but it's the community, the involvement, the, the way we're enmeshed with others mm -hmm. is indirect and it's of the highest importance. And the re-up of the values. You know, we sing these songs, prone to wander, Lord, I feel it, prone to leave the God I love. Do you believe you're prone to wander? I believe I'm prone to wander. You know, I just spent a week out of town. I didn't pray like I should. I started getting ugly with the staff down there because they're not serving me well enough at my little condo. Two more weeks there, and I'd be another person. 
two more weeks there, I'd be just as materialistic, as grumpy, as neglectful, as absorbed in my screens as anybody else. I have to come back here and be with all of you people to be reminded of who I am, who I, what I believe in, and the supernatural power that I try to be attached to. And uh, without that, I'll become someone else. Do you believe that about yourself? That without this community, you'll become someone else that the you sitting here today won't like. Or the flip side, being in this community, you will become someone else. To put it on the positive yes. rather than on the negative. If you're you know, here for the first time or you know, very rarely, you will become someone else by being amongst yeah. the people. Yeah, I'm sorry. Regularly. I'm, I'm going to wrap us up because um, we're out of time uh, for this for this portion. But what we're going to do next year, I'm going to pass it over to Dan because um, we are actually going to participate in one of the unique unique opportunities that we have as a gathered body, uh, which is coming to the table, the bread and cup. So, um, Dan, prepare us for that. Yeah, let's go. Uh, stand with me, everyone. Let's go into a time of uh, confessions. You're really just about the church. Your line is, Father, we confess, and then I'll tell you what it is that's on the screen. Everyone? Father, we confess. Father, we confess that we've not kept faithful to our brothers and sisters in Christ. Father, we confess. We have, not, we have forsaken our assembling together around the one faith, the one food that is you, Jesus, our daily bread. Father, we confess. We privatized our lives and our faith. Father, we confess we sinned by thinking we go to heaven all by ourselves. Father, we confess we have forgotten which story we're in, the story of your sacrifice for the world, where we are ambassadors of your good news, citizens of heaven. Almighty God, have mercy on you and forgive you all your sins to our Lord Jesus Christ and strengthen you in all goodness and by the power of the Holy Spirit keep you in eternal life. We all said, amen. amen. Let us stand together for our benediction today. We'll uh, read a great verse from the Apostle Paul in Ephesians, um, and it is about the things that can be accomplished only, you know, through God, through the people gathered together. Let's read this together. Glory to God, whose power working in us can do infinitely more than we can ask or imagine. Glory to him, from generation to generation in the church and in Christ Jesus forever and ever. Amen. Amen. I hope we'll all go out this week and talk about what is a place of faith, worship, community in our lives. What, how maybe do we want to do the fall differently than we've been doing? Yeah. Amen. Amen. Go in peace.